outside this door, huffing and puffing for her mail. He dumped two big duffel bags on the front step and went back to the truck. Harry carried them inside. Hey, I'd have done that for you. I know, Harry said. I need the exercise. Tucker appeared in the doorway. Hello, Tucker. Rob greeted the dog. Tucker wagged her tail. Well... Neither rain nor sleet nor snow, etc. Rob slid behind the wheel. It's 79 degrees at 7, Rob. I wouldn't worry about the sleet if I were you. He smiled and drove off. Harry opened the first bag. Mrs. Hagendauber's mail was on the top, neatly bound with a thick rubber band. Rob, if he had the time, put Mrs. Hagendauber's mail in a pile down at the main post office in Charlottesville. Harry slipped the handful of mail into the mail slot. She then began sorting through the rest of the stuff. Bills, enough mail order catalogs to provide clothing for every man, woman, and child in the United States, and, of course, personal letters and postcards. Courtney Shiflet, Market's 14-year-old daughter, received a postcard from Sally McIntyre, away at camp. Kelly Craycroft, the handsome, rich paving contractor, was the recipient of a shiny postcard from Paris. It was a photo of a beautiful angel with wings. Harry flipped it over. It was Oscar Wilde's tombstone in the Père Lachaise Cemetery. On the back was the message, Wish You Were Here. No signature. The handwriting was computer script, like signatures on letters from your congressperson. Harry sighed and slipped it into Kelly's box. It must be heaven to be in Paris. Snow-capped Alps majestically covered a postcard addressed to Harry from her lifelong friend, Lindsay Astrove. Dear Harry, arrived in Zurich. No gnomes in sight. Good flight. Very tired. We'll write some more later. Best, Lindsay. Must be heaven to be in Zurich. Bob Berryman, the largest stock trailer dealer in the South, got a registered letter from the IRS. Harry gingerly put it in his box. Harry's best friend, Susan Tucker, received a large package from James River Traders, probably those discounted cotton sweaters she'd ordered. Susan, prudent, waited for the sales. Susan was the mother of T. Tucker, named T because Susan gave her to Harry on the seventh tee at the Farmington Country Club. Mrs. Murphy, two years the dog's senior, was not amused, but she came to accept it. A Gary Larson postcard attracted Harry's attention. Harry turned it over. It was addressed to Fair Harristine, her soon-to-be ex-husband, but not soon enough. Hang in there, buddy, was the message from Stafford Sanborn, Harry jammed the postcard in Fair's box. Crozet was still small enough that people felt compelled to take sides during a divorce. Perhaps even New York City was that small. At any rate, Harry reeled from fury to sorrow on a daily basis as she watched former friends choose sides, and most were choosing Fair. After all, she had left him— thereby outraging other women in Albemarle County stuck in a miserable marriage but lacking the guts to go. That was a lot of women. 
Thank God they didn't have children, clucked many tongues behind Harry's back and to her face. Harry agreed with them. With children, the goddamn divorce would take a year. Without, the limbo lasted only six months, and she was two down. By the time the clock struck eight, the two duffel bags were folded over, the boxes filled, the old pine plank floor swept clean. Mrs. George Hagendaber, an evangelical Protestant, picked up her mail punctually at 8 a.m. each morning, except Sunday, when she was evangeling and the post office was closed. She fretted a great deal over evolution. She was determined to prove that humans were not descended from apes, but rather created in God's own image. Mrs. Murphy fervently hoped that Mrs. Hagendaber would prove her case, because linking man and ape was an insult to the ape. Of course the good woman would die of shock.